0: Oh, okay. All right, well, this morning we are going to read about a story that you've probably heard countless times. It is a battle, sort of, in which the assurance was given beforehand to Joshua before any action was taken. Well, you'll understand as we read it. Because, yes, the victory was guaranteed to Joshua as long as he simply exercised faith and obedience. So what is that story I'm referring to, the battle that sort of was for Joshua? What was Joshua's assured victory as long as he was simply faithful and obedient? It is none other than one of the greatest stories in the Bible. You've heard it before. It's the fall of Jericho as the walls came down. The falling of the walls at Jericho was on my mind this week. And it's an interesting and amazingly refreshing story that reminds us then really of our victory. I mean, yeah, while we're fighting daily battles, while we're here on planet Earth, as believers, we need to recognize that ultimately we are victorious. I mean, that fact is that, I mean, life is tremendously difficult. We face daily battles that can get us frustrated, get us easily stressed and angered, even to the point where we may be revengeful. It can leave us confused, lonely, and depressed. So we need an occasional reminder that as Christians, the battle has already been fought, and we have emerged and lived victorious. Now, before reading Joshua chapter 6, which we're going to be today in 20 verses in the 6th chapter of Joshua, it will take a little while to read that, I came across some interesting battle quotes. And there's a lot of those. When you go to the Internet and you get on Google and you want to find some battle quotes, I mean, they'll give you a lot of them. I never down to five, which is pretty, probably too many. But here's five battle quotes you can find on the Internet. And, and some of these is helpful and some maybe more than others. But the first one is this. Everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Everyone is fighting their own battle to be free from their past, to live in the present and create a meaningful future for themselves. Both of them are somewhat good. A third is any coward can fight a battle when he is sure of winning. But give me the man who has the desire to fight when he is sure of losing. A fourth. Of the five I picked is, I have not won a thousand battles. I have won a thousand victories. And the last, or perhaps my favorite of the five, is that God does not give up, give the hardest battles to His toughest soldiers. He creates the toughest soldiers through life's hardest battles. I like that last one because it reminds us that we're going to have battles every day in life. Multiple battles, perhaps, probably, each upon each day. And then we can emerge as one of his toughest soldiers. So today we do talk to you about the fall of Jericho. We're in Joshua chapter 6. And we're going to apply this in just a moment. But let us stand this morning as we do the reading of the word. Again, we're going to do 20 verses in Joshua in chapter 6. I know it's a story you heard before. Let's refresh our memory with what's happening in these 20 verses found in Joshua chapter 6. It's not Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out, and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with his king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets, trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horns, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before them. So Joshua, verse 6, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Verse 12, then Joshua rose early in the morning and the priest took up the Ark of the Lord. And the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord walked on and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them and the rear guard was walking after the Ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp. And so they did this for six days. Verse 15, on the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people in verse twenty shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Father, Lord, we thank you today for the reading of this word, Lord, and we thank you for an Old Testament account that we can refresh ourselves from when we probably learned it in childhood, and. Lord, today we just ask that an account that we've heard before, that perhaps we may receive some new insight or maybe a new meaning application. So we ask now your spirit will lead and guide that these words be expressed today. And the words that I want to say, but the words you want us to hear upon an account that's very, very familiar to us. So, Lord, now take this account, take this message and let it be yours. And let's apply it today. And let's be thankful for what shall learn and apply to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, undoubtedly, we've heard at many different times upon the walls of Jericho and how they fall and the march around the city and all these different things. But we want to go back to the beginning and begin to unravel and dissect just a little bit before we jump into any kind of application and receiving that from that. So we we'll go back immediately then to verse 1. And we find that not only is verse 1 the logical starting point to dissect the text for understanding, but also a critical verse for what occurs at Jericho. So look at it with me. It says the problem here is very clearly stated to see. You look at the words of verse 1, and it's there for understanding, and see the problem does exist. Where it says this, Jericho was shut up inside and outside. Well, with that then the problem does exist it's a two-fold problem if you will i mean it was a problem first and foremost for the inhabitants of jericho where they could not get out it's also then a problem secondly for the israelites for their task was taking the city and it's much harder because it seems to be impenetrable now if any of that is unclear notice at the end of verse one it seems to point to the completely obvious problem in the fact that none went out and none came in. So basically the verse conveys a very important realization very early for the reader that it's going to be a great difficulty or a tremendous task in which to take the city. Now, Dr. Charles Stanley summarizes the task of him when he says, It was huge and stood in their way. As Joshua looked at the fortifications of Jericho, he realized that taking the city was no small task, especially with the seemingly impenetrable wall that stood before him. So all that then, verse 1, and that comment by Stanley, it seems to set the stage for what we know is going to be a mighty miracle of God. It is a great obstacle that is overcome effortlessly by a mighty act of God for Joshua. It's an assurance of victory, for Joshua and his fellow men and women, for the Israelites. And because that assurance of victory is given to us very early in the account, for we know unfold, a story we're very familiar with, we need to understand there's an application immediately that applies to all of our lives and gives us a reminder that we need, that just as Joshua and the Israelites did, we too can have victory, and we do. As I mentioned, many challenges face us in life. But through any challenge, any particular battle that we face, I mean, this week, as we mentioned, children going back to school, there's kindergarten, there's sixth graders, there's freshmen who are anxiety and, and nervous about going to school or a different school for the first time, and, and they have a lot, it's a challenge, it, it, it's a difficulty for them perhaps to go into a new school and to meet new friends so it's all ages can seemingly fight daily battles and challenges now as we mentioned some of these battles we face are very visible in day-to-day events and activities but we need to remember it's not just the visible there's also the invisible battles we face in the spiritual realm but whatever challenge whatever difficulty whatever battle we begin to face on a daily basis we can overcome because we are victorious we can overcome anything we face in life because we are victorious just like it was with joshua and the israelites now borrowing the words of scholar and pastor warren wordsby there's three principles that can be applied from this particular passage that we're looking at today in Joshua chapter 6. it helps us fight the daily battles and challenges so here are three principles we can get from this particular text. We're going to expand upon each of them, but let us see what they are. First, he provides them for us. He says this, before the challenge, remember that you fight from victory, not just for victory. Also, he says, during the challenge, remember that you overcome the enemy by faith. And then thirdly, which we expand upon a bit later, after the victory, remember to obey God's commands and give him the glory. He has brought you through it you're victorious give him the glory three different principles for us to fight today and to dissect So we'll go back to the first one again before the challenge remember that you fight in victory not just for victory it's basically verses 1 through 5 now it's extremely comforting to know when a challenge of battle comes into your life you've already won Rest assured, Joshua knew. He was told by God early in the narrative that we look at today the victory was at hand. And then when we have anything now that we're going to face this week, today, tomorrow, whenever, throughout this year, victory is already yours. The battle has been won. And it's extremely comforting to know. When you wake up in the morning, when you know you're going to face that battle, that challenge, you've already won. I mean, the lives that we live, we have such great difficulties, such daily battles. I mean, anybody past the age of two knows that life is full of challenges. Finances, health, loneliness, depression, various kind of sicknesses, cancer, even breaking a bad habit, employment challenges, peer pressure, Marriage, divorce, children, all these different things exist in everyday life. They're very, very real. We go through them. And there's even more battles that we don't even see that begins to occur. We mentioned earlier how they are the spiritual battles. And, and maybe with everything that we're fighting in visible realm that we know we're doing in life, we feel it, we see it, we're in that battle, The actual worst battles or most difficult battles will be the ones we don't see. That spiritual battle that's behind the scenes that's also fought on a daily basis. Worsby's comment addresses this as well when he said the Christian soldier stands in a position of guaranteed victory because Jesus Christ has already defeated every spiritual enemy. Jesus defeated Satan, not only in the wilderness. But also during his earthly ministry, he defeated the enemy on the cross and in his resurrection and ascension. And as we see Worsby's comment, we see from, from the beginning, even from the comment and now from Joshua, that we have assurance of victory. And God reveals that to Joshua. And now we apply it to our lives that we have victory. It is guaranteed. The victory has been won. Joshua, all the people know them, and they, they all they have to do is get the claim of promise and, and obey the Lord. The same applies to us. We are assured of victory. Now I know that's repetitious. I said that many different times that we are sure of victory. You getting it? We are sure of victory. Now as we think about that, and I said it repetitiously many times. Now often now think about this. Now, often in life do we have such assurances or guarantee. We have been assured by God and been guaranteed that we are victorious. Because Jesus has conquered death. He defeated the enemy. Now, as we think about that guarantee that assurance, I cannot think of another positive guarantee that we have in life. I cannot think at least of a better guarantee or more positive assurance than that. But I began to think this week about if I could possibly think of a better or more positive guarantee, which I cannot, but I got thinking, well, there are some negative assurances in life and a guarantee. Like what is that? It's taxes. You know, we're guaranteed that we're gonna pay taxes in life, right? And no one's excited about paying taxes. Micah and Jackson got a job this year, working throughout the summer. Jackson worked his last day at Holiday World, either Friday or Saturday, yesterday. And, and Micah's got a little bit more he has to do at McDonald's this week. But they both learned, both teenage boys learned what? They have to pay some taxes. Because they get their paycheck, you know, and they look at this and where'd all my money go? Because like one-third of it is gone. So we're guaranteed that we're going to have to pay some taxes. That's always a positive guarantee or assurance. That's a negative. So I thought about how we have negative assurances this week. But we truly only have one positive guarantee in life that if we've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we emerge victorious. We are victorious. When it comes to facing the greatest battles in our life, which I urge you to think is not what you face day to day, but that spiritual battle, you have emerged victorious through Jesus. You have victory in Jesus. You may have heard it said before. Maybe even a song has been made like that. We have victory in Jesus. So what does it mean then with that wording, we have victory in Jesus? I borrowed the words of John MacArthur. Who states it means we have victory over three things, three great important things. We have victory over Satan, death, and the world. I like MacArthur's comment. We have victory over Satan, death, and the world through Jesus. So, with MacArthur's comment, let's take a moment to expand. How do we, as Christians, through Jesus, have victory over Satan? That's a great question, especially when it seems in the time we're living in today. Doesn't it seem in the world we're living in today that Satan seems to be emergent, at least at some times, victorious? But rest assured, even though we may see that and feel that at times, we really know that Satan is not going to be victorious, ultimately, that he will be defeated. Now, you can read through the book of Revelation, and even when you read through Revelation like we did back on our study Wednesday night, you may find, well, it almost even says in Revelation that he's going to be victorious. Like in chapter 13, verse 7, when it refers to the beast, the Antichrist, it says it was given to him, the, the Antichrist, to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And the authority he was given him, the Antichrist, over every tribe, every people, every language, and every nation. It's like everybody. And, and I mean, verse 13, I mean, chapter 13, verse 7, seems like he's going to win. But, of course, that's not just one verse you can take from Revelation. Although that verse may be troublesome, thinking that it might win, that Satan could be victorious, we know the bigger picture of Revelation, like in chapter 12, that says this, verse 11, And they have conquered him, the enemy, Satan, the Antichrist. They've conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives, even unto death. So I like chapter 12, verse 11, Revelation, because it gives us the key. That the key to having victory over our enemy is the blood of the Lamb. We have victory over Satan by the blood of the Lamb, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Lamb from the tribe of Judah, our Savior Jesus. In the blood of the Lamb, we have assurance of victory over the enemy, over Satan. ultimately, Satan was defeated at the cross. And then upon that time, the ultimate battle was won. And simply, when you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you have victory over the greatest battles the enemy will ever throw at you, and he's going to throw some things in your way. You've already begun to experience that. And when you have these spiritual battles the enemy is trying to tempt you with, the victory is yours. Through Jesus Christ. We have significant challenges in this world. But Satan is out for you personally. Do you know that? I think you do. I think we just need that reminder, though. Because we such we, we face such daily battles that we forget that the real enemy, the real enemy in the hand here is Satan. And what he's trying to do to us, he's trying to control us, he's trying to tempt us, he does all these different things, but we need to recognize that he's defeated. We have the power to say no through Jesus Christ. We have victory over Satan through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's the victory. The blood of the Lamb gives us our victory over the enemy. So, as MacArthur said, we have victory over Satan, but we also have it over death. We also have victory over through Jesus of death. Paul wrote in chapter 15, 1 Corinthians, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass that saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, but the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We don't like to think about it. But death is truly a part of life. All of us must die someday. It's the wages of our sin. And Paul had written in chapter 3 of Romans, for all have sinned and come come short of the glory of God. He also wrote a little bit later in chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. And that's the part we seem to remember about chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. But there's also a last part of verse 23. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So for a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ that has committed their life to Jesus, we overcome death upon our salvation. He offers us everlasting life, but we have to commit to Jesus. You're saying, okay, maybe you're here for the first time or whatever. You're thinking, well, how do we commit our life to Jesus? It's just exactly like I told our kids during vacation Bible school. You have the ABCs. You have to admit that you're a sinner and repent from your sin. You have to believe. Believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish or have what? Everlasting life. You have to admit, you have to believe, and like we told the kids during vacation Bible school, you have to confess. Confess your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. Romans chapter 10, if you confess your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and justified, and with the mouth one is confessed and saved. It almost sounds too easy. Just admit believe and confess. But through Jesus Christ, that we as Christians, we as followers, we really as disciples, we have victory over Satan and we have victory over death. And as MacArthur said, we also have victory over the world. The world is going to try to entice you through our enemy. But listen to 1 John 5, verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. When you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're just simply reborn. I mean, that confused Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus, a bright, intelligent Pharisee, I mean, if Nicodemus is walking down the street back in Jerusalem and, and, and people are watching, they would say, little little little, little Hank, why don't you grow up and be like Nicodemus? Because that's everybody admired him. He was a bright, intelligent man. He was a Pharisee, but he didn't understand. He was confused when Jesus told him he must be reborn. He didn't get it. But we have to be able to understand, and then we have to get it. Because he simply told him in John chapter 3, in verse 3, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But through Jesus, we overcome the world accepting God's only son, admitting, believing, and confessing, you can overcome the world through Jesus. MacArthur says three things we have victory in this life through Jesus, Satan, death, and the world. All that for our first principle is remember that you fight from victory, not just for victory. And then the second principle, provided above words. As during the challenge, remember that you overcome the enemy by faith. It's, of course, the method of being able to stand by the Word of God in the account of Joshua we just read, primarily in verses 6 through 16. But if anything that actually can summarize any part of that, there's no better summarization of the illustration of faith of what happened in Jericho by Joshua than in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30. It summarizes it beautifully. The author of Hebrews says, by faith, by faith, the walls at Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. That summarizes exactly what happens in Jericho. But notice how faith is the key word. I mean, it took a great amount of faith in God and his word and his instruction. And the believing the walls would actually fall. I mean, think about the scenario, think about how it's said to happen. I mean, whoever heard, who ever thought about the fact that the walls of a city could come down by some particular method or approach? I mean, it seemed completely incomprehensible. Certainly not logical to think you can march around the city, you can shout, and all of a sudden the walls are going to come down? No. It doesn't make sense to us. I mean, God's instructions to Joshua about taking the city of Jericho contains no reference at all. Did you go back and read it again later? There's no reference of any kind of military strategy. It just simply requires and indicates that you have to have some ritual ceremony as explained in his word. And that one, you have to exercise faith and believe that his word will come to pass. I mean, note, if you will, that God's word and instruction to Joshua consisted of three major things. Number one, it consisted of this. An encouraging assurance to Joshua. We mentioned very early in verse 2 in this chapter, he says to Joshua, I have given Jericho into your hand. I mean, it's a victorious assurance immediately. So that's the first thing you find in the word. And then secondly, very specific instructions to Joshua and how it must unfold. compass the city, go around it once for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns. The seventh day, you shall circle the city seven times, the priests shall blow the trumpets. And then thirdly, a statement about their amazing results, that to do all that, the people will shout and the walls will come down. I mean, if y'all told me that's the way we're going to take Oakland City or any place that we may live by some sort of way to, to, to conquer it, I would say you're completely absurd. Whoever thought of actually conquering a city in this particular way? Okay, we're going to get on our feet. We're going to walk around. We're going to go out of the building. We're not going to take anything with this. All we're going to do is have, okay, a couple are going to blow a ram's horn. Can you blow a ram's horn? Okay, you're elected. Can you do one? Okay, Terry, you're going to do one too. Colton, okay, you're musical. You can do a ram horn, too, okay? We're going to walk around this city for a while, all right? We're going to do one, the day orange you one time. The whole thing seems absurd. Who would ever think we're going to do something like it, and then something would actually happen as a result of that? It took faith. The whole plan was centered around exercising faith, and faith is what then in our lives carries us through the tremendous difficulties we face. As we mentioned earlier, sickness, financial setbacks, relationships. We must have faith to know that God is with us. And we have the terms of victory. You know, by faith, we can actually keep hope. But it's only available through Jesus Christ. Have faith in Him. And He gives us hope for each and every day. The victory is ours. So recapping. Our first principle, we fight for victory, not just for victory. The second principle, briefly, was you overcome the enemy of faith, and then go back now to this third principle, which was after the victory, remember to obey God's commands and give him the glory. I recognize, and perhaps you do as well, that not along with faith, along with faith, I mean, yeah, it, 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 it's a silly type plan if we think about how to conquer the city and the walls to fall. But along with faith to believe, Joshua and the Israelites had to exercise obedience. They had to, be, had to exercise faith and obedience. I mean, it's a seemingly high and likely plan to succeed. Without God, it cannot succeed. So faith just yes, enters the equation but also must be obedience. He had very specific instructions of how it must be done, and they must obey. So obedience and faith go hand in hand. Isn't that the way life is for us as believers and Christians? Aren't we supposed to have faith and obedience, not just one or the other? Don't they kind of complement each other? That's what seems to happen to us as believers it's so certainly to Joshua and the people because it all hinges upon obedience. I mean, what, what if what if they would have not listened completely? I mean, they have faith that when the guy's going to do it the way he wants it to be done, and the walls eventually are going to fall, but what if they thought, okay, God, okay, what if he marched twice around the city the first day? And then what if we just rest the second day, and then the third day we go back around it one more time like you mentioned? They didn't, they didn't deviate from the plan. They did exactly like God had told them. I mean, there was someone who deviated from the plan. Remember Sarah and Abram? They were told they were going to have a child way back when. But then all of a sudden they thought, well, you know, God, I'm I'm, I'm almost 100 years old. I can't imagine having a child at 100 years old. And, and she's 90. So remember, they take some things in their own hands and they have a... Well, she gives Abraham, her husband, the maidservant, and there's a child born. You know the story, right? So there are episodes we see of people who weren't completely exercising God's plan, but they did. They obediently went according to the plan. They didn't deviate from it. The whole plan hinges on faith and obedience. So in verses 6 through 7, as we have read, Joshua then calls the priest into him. And he lets them know the strategy for overtaking Jericho. But as we've already mentioned, that's some weird type of strategy. That's not a that's not a modern day method, is it? I mean, no battle strategy ever appeared to be more unreasonable than this one. I mean, if I'm Joshua, put yourself in his position for just a moment. I mean, he's the leader. Moses is gone. Now it's Joshua. So, Joshua is the leader of the people. All right? So, Joshua, if I'm thinking, I mean, he, he, he's an experienced military leader himself. So, if I hear God telling me this, and I'm Joshua, and now you are too, and we're thinking about the situation, I mean, all kinds of questions be racing through my mind. I mean, I've been thinking, dude, what what was it, The army of Jericho from raining arrows and spears down on these defenseless Israelites that are marching around the city, apparently silent. i am mean, thinking, what's going to keep us from getting hurt as we walk around not saying a word? Or, or I'll be thinking, who could stop the enemy from all of a sudden rushing outside the gate and jumping in front of us, slaughtering a few of them, and then we're, what are we going to I'll be wondering, what if? All the time in the midst of the strategy that God has told me. I mean, if you're Joshua, and in our human minds we live in today, we have all kinds of objections and questions we ask in this divine strategy when it must seem more reasonable for us to do it a different way. But to go back to its obedience, I mean, unlike Moses at the burning bush who argued with lengthy eloquence to the Lord's plan, Joshua simply responded. He simply responded with unquestioning obedience. I mean, Moses kind of had some feedback with God for a while about the task. But Josh would find nothing of the sort. Kind of reminds me of Noah. You remember Noah, right, in Genesis chapter 6 through 9, is the whole flood account. And all of a sudden, Noah is given very specific instructions as well to build this ark. And and he follows it exactly as God tells him to do, without questioning, for something that nobody had ever seen before called rain. And Noah just does it. So, I mean, like, we must admire Noah's obedience, and now Joshua's as well, because he lost, if you go back and read again, he lost no time in calling together the priests and the soldiers and passing on to them the directions that he received from his commander-in-chief, the Almighty God. And then all the verses that follow then, all the way to verse 20 that we've read, is revealed that Joshua, the priests, and the Israelites do exactly, they do precisely God's plan to the letter. Not one person, again, Not one person deviated from the plan. Obedience to the Lord was in full display. And obedience is rewarded as well as faith with the victory. Obedience and faith is rewarded with the victory. Faith and obedience greatly displayed throughout the entire account. Not one person deviated from the plan. Now, if you're hearing that, you think, okay, you just said that. But if you also know the story of Joshua, you're thinking, okay, I heard you say, not one person deviated from the plan. They exercised it accordingly and was obedient. But you say, what about chapter 7? What about chapter 7? You had to in the ointment. In chapter 7 of Joshua, there is one particular rebel His name is Achan. Look at it with me. Joshua 7, verse 1. But the people, okay, it's happened. The people of Israel, the walls fell down. The people of Israel broke faith in regard to devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. What's that mean? That means, look, there's one dude who thought it would be kind of cool to take some stuff home. So he took some of the stuff from Jericho with himself. All the people were obedient, but notice how it says, but the people of Israel broke faith. One person. It was Achan. It wasn't really the people. It was one person. But notice how all the God's people were committed together. And one person was the rebel. You think about the disciples. There's twelve. With one person not also a traitor. In life, when we congregate together, you think there's sometimes a traitor present? We're looking at each other thinking, no, 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 not possible. But don't ever discount the fact that Satan tries to enter the church. He tries to split it apart any way he possibly can. And it's successful with a lot of churches today. But we all must stick together. I mean, you're easily prone to fall as prey when you're by yourself. But when you're collected together as a church family, we have, we can stand in unison, be able to worship and praise our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But notice how one person deviated from the plan. And, and I look at that last week and I'm thinking, why did why did Achan do this? Because the if you go back to verses 17 through 19, I mean, the commands seem clear enough. Verse 17, the city and all that is within it, all that is within it, shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Now, only Rahab gets to stay, and she gets in her house, okay, people with her. In verse 18, lest you keep things from yourself, the Lord's destruction, when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things to make the camp of Israel anything for destruction, and bring trouble upon it. He told them, look, if you take anything from the camp, you take anything for yourself, there's going to be trouble. He says in verse 19, all silver gold, every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They go into the treasury. Achan somehow didn't get it. Or he's just simply selfish. Or he's just like Judas. It didn't penetrate. Somehow it stopped. Maybe it was here, but it never got here. Is that where we are? You may know people have all the knowledge of the Word of God in this world. But that knowledge is not saving them. It. it seems to be all it can be in the mind, in the heart, in the brain. I mean, in the mind, but it never gets to the heart. There must be that change of heart. You must simply accept Jesus Christ with every soul, with every part of your soul. Somehow Achan didn't get it. Somehow Judas didn't get it. But what I find in the account of Joshua, chapter 6, a familiar story for all of us, is that there has to be faith and there has to be obedience. And with both faith and obedience, accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you have victory. We have victory. Obey God's commands and give him the glory is the last final principle. We've learned three principles in this entirety. Here they are again. Remember, first and foremost, you fight from victory, not for victory. Again, you overcome the enemy by faith. And then lastly, obey God's commands and give him the, the glory. We know, we've lived it long enough to know there are daily battles and challenges but with Jesus, we can be, we are victorious. It helps to when the battles begin to happen this week, when you leave church, right now you may not be fighting the battle necessarily. But when you walk outside that door, you face the world, you're going to be facing the next battle. Or maybe today you're actually facing this battle right now while I'm talking. There's nothing spiritual going on in your mind right now. Satan's trying to manipulate you, even as we're talking right now. We're congregating together, praising, worshiping Jesus, and Satan's still trying to manipulate you. So the battle is still happening. But know that battle has been won when you accept Jesus Christ. You can say no to Satan. You can overcome the world. You can overcome death all through Jesus Christ. What I'm saying is this. The people, Joshua, when the walls came down, they were winners. And we too can be winners because we have victorious assurance. We are winners because Jesus wins and we win. There's an illustration I'm going to leave you with. I'll have to read a little bit of it to make sure you don't mess it up. But it involves an incident while someone was attending a seminary And I don't know exactly where this comes from, and the seminary is never disclosed. I don't even know if it's actually real or not, but it's a cool little story to end with. here it is. The seminary was rather small, but equipped to prepare its students on the Word of God and deliver powerful sermon messages. With the size of the seminary and its enrollment, no gymnasium was available on campus. Since the school had no gymnasium, students would play basketball in a nearby public school. In the school gymnasium, a janitor, a custodian, would wait patiently until the seminarians finished playing. Invariably, he sat there reading the Bible. One day, a student came to him and asked what he was reading. The man answered that he was reading Revelation. Surprised by the complexity of Revelation, the student asked if he understood what he was reading. Oh, yes, the man said rather quickly. I fully understand. But a student, still somewhat surprised by the complexity of Revelation, says, well, what does it mean? The custodian was anxious to share. He answered, it means Jesus is going to win. The student laughed and said, yeah, that's the best commentary I've ever heard on the book of Revelation. Jesus is going to win. We know the final outcome. It's no surprise to us we know that we're going to face these challenges each and every day. But we now know exactly or have been reminded of what we need to hear today is that we can be victorious. We have victorious assurance through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus is a winner, and we are winners too. Father, Lord, we thank you for this message today, how a simple message, Lord, reminds us of how we have victory through your Son, through Jesus. I pray for all of us collectively together today, Lord, anybody that may be listening later, to recognize that through Jesus Christ, and only through Jesus Christ, can we have such assurance of victory. So I pray all of us now today, Lord, would just heed that message and just live each and every day recognizing that through the battle that we're facing right now, today, tomorrow, this week, throughout this year, we're still victorious. We have given us as we have faith in you and our obedience in you to have everlasting life, we are victorious. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for giving us that victory. In your name we pray. Amen.